Good day, everybody. Welcome to Theology in the Dirt. My name is Mitchell Jolly, and we're privileged today to have our producer, Chris Hayes, in the studio with us today. What's going on, Chris? Not much, man. Happy to be here on the other side of the mic for a change. Yeah, that's a little different for you. It's usually me texting and saying, hey, Chris, the podcast is uploaded to the uh, to the old Google. Can you put it up? And, and you handle all the stuff beyond recording. So what exactly is the job of a producer? So really it's just to kind of make you sound pretty if you want to break it down. But So to- what you're saying is that on a normal occasion we don't sound very pretty. No, y'all do fine. It's nice to have good equipment. So yes. my editing is not usually too much. Every once in a while I have to go in and maybe clean something up, make sure it's right. loud enough, especially if you have somebody who's not used to talking in the microphone, if they get too far away or their voice drops off and yes, you're like, I can't hear calm, you. Very quiet. Right. So trying to do that, make sure yeah. that the intro music's good. You know, if we need to add anything, commercials, and then obviously just getting it uploaded. Awesome. I remember when we first started doing Theology in the Dirt, uh, we were recording in GarageBand and we had all kinds of recording challenges or sound challenges in, in the trailer. And that was that was pretty wild. Yeah, and then some of it was through Zoom, and people's levels were different. And Oh, that's right. COVID was going on, right? right? Yeah, that's right. I'd forgotten COVID was happening, and we were Zooming, Zoom recording. That's right. Well, today, uh, we, as always, are in our offices and our studio here at Global Impact Restoration Rome, where we work to alleviate the foster care and adoption crisis in our county of Floyd, our city of Rome, and the state of Georgia, northwest Georgia, and we're partnering with folks around the country and around the world. And so we're glad to be coming to you from Restoration Rome. You can check out our website at restorationrome.org, and you can find ways to donate and ways you can be involved in that work. And so Theology in the Dirt is brought to you by Global Impact and Restoration Rome. And so we're glad to not be in that trailer. We're glad that our producer, Chris Hayes, has hooked us up with some amazing equipment and uh, made us sound good. So we're grateful for that, Chris. That's right. You got the face for radio and podcast so you know it's much better to sound pretty than to have to look pretty i have a feeling that goes for all of us that we have faces for radio and podcasting and so that is True. absolutely okay that's okay well today we're gonna get ourselves started with our sports take and so we have some in the worlds of the producer in the words of our producer a stinger And so this new music is a stinger. So I'm educating the podcast people who listen to Theology in the Dirt. That's what's going on. And so you might recognize that as the Sports Center theme. And so that indicates to us it's time for a sports take. So Chris, give us a sports take for the day. I think last week I said, uh, I don't, hot takes. It's not really a hot take. It's more of a sports take. What's your sports take for today? 
I got you. It's hard. I follow a lot of sports, so I was trying to figure out and narrow it down. I may have a couple, but um, because we're in baseball season, because I'm a big Braves fan, um, my sports take for today is for Braves fans to take a breath. They're at the exact same point they were la- this year as they were last year. Now, granted, does that mean they're going to win the World Series? I'm not ready to say that. It's so hard to repeat. A National League team hasn't repeated since the 80s. For real? I think, I think 89 and I almost said the Reds did it last. Um, Are you serious? The last team at all to do it was the Yankees wow. um, when they won th- what, three straight in the late 90s. So it's just hard to repeat. But my sports take for today is the Braves will mirror the season almost exactly like last season. They'll hang around 500. They'll be within five, six, seven games of the Mets. They'll make some small, not huge trade come July. Plus, you also get a couple of guys back, getting Soroka back and Kirby um, Yates back, who we acquired, who was used to be a closer for the Padres, really good reliever. So one small little move, and then you're going to see all of a sudden the bats come alive, and they're going to take off and the, still think the bets are going to met. I think they're better this year. I think they're going to hang in longer. But until they prove that they're not going to met, right. I just I think the Braves still win the division. I still think they make a deep run. I still think it's going to be the Braves and the Dodgers in the NLCS, and it's going to come down to six or seven games, and mm. then we'll see from there. When I hear people say the Mets are going to met, I go back to Clemsoning, where I think that originally began where somebody, a reporter, told Dabo that are they going to Clemson, they're going to be Clemsoning or whatever, and Dabo goes off. I like Dabo, and Dabo kind of yeah. loses his business on the guy for a second. It was pretty awesome that's a good take man I, I hope you're right because they are i feel like the the personality and makeup of that team is they're slow starters for whatever reason and uh and and i i'm trusting your take i'm hoping that is the case because they get frustrating at times right now it's totally like they were one for eight i think it's one for eight last night with runners in scoring position that's terrible that's been a big struggle but they've got too much talent especially on the offensive end and you know, the same thing happened, happening this year happened last year. It just seems like other teams are blooping and dribbling us to death. Every time they get, another team gets a runner on base, they we make a good pitch and they hit a blooper and it scores two runs, and the Braves are up here hitting 112-mile-an-hour balls off the bat. They get caught. Or line drive right at somebody. It happened four times last night that I can think of. Yeah. And so some of it's just luck, for better of a word. All sure. that evens out. Yeah, but, that's true. Um, you know, guys pitching starting to get better. Um, the bullpen's probably the best in the majors. That's and when you get down to the end, you need a good bullpen. Mm. I think the, I think the offensive guys will start hitting. It's just trying to get them to hit at the same time in the right moments. I like it. I like it. When it comes to the sporting world, um, this is the time of year for me. This is my sports take. Even though baseball is going on, this is the dark season of sports for me. I love fall sports and absolutely adore the football season and i say the football season because i mean july i'm talking um summer high school camps Um, that's almost as much fun for me um as anything else but i love july to december in sports you've got baseball going on you've got football going on you have basketball beginning and i'm talking even at the high school level and Mm -hmm. here's here's i'm just going to break out some some uh, you can rebuke me for this later, but it's the holy trinity of weekends. You got Friday night lights. We got high school football on Friday night. We got college football on Saturday, and we get professional football on Sunday. 
And uh, in the early fall, you're going to have baseball mixed in there. And then when basketball season starts, man, it is nonstop glorious sports. And so my sport take is the fall is the best sport season that there is. Love fall sports. I think September and October are the two best months of sports. And and part of that's because I'm just a huge baseball and football fan. But yeah. you get that September, the pennant races, October playoffs and baseball. That's right. Which, you know, if you don't watch all season, you watch then. That's right. And then you got football season for college and pros. Not just getting off, but the October, you have a lot of big, like, Rivalry games are just big games in general. You kind of get past some of the early cupcake games. That's right. Although now, you know, with the kickoff games and stuff, you get good games. I mean, you got Georgia at Oregon. and Can't wait for that game. That's going to be – that's one everybody's picking as an upset. Yep. I think I think Georgia wins about three touchdowns. I would if I was going to throw that. another sports take out there, it would be that how dominant the defense was last year for Georgia, one of the best of all times. Right. Not saying the offense will be that dominant, but it'll be the best offense that Georgia has seen at least since that big Aaron Murray year. Yeah, under Ooh. Bobo, where they were averaging forty points. I think Georgia averages over forty points on offense this year, and it's virtually unstoppable. I mean, his targets. You got Stetson Bennett. Stetson's fine. Stetson's not. We got Eric Gilbert. I mean, Eric Gilbert is a, a hoss. Um, you've got Darnell Washington. You've got. Brock Bowers and and right now I just mentioned the tight ends okay and so we got freaking loaded Kenny McIntosh is is a hidden gem he can catch the ball he's a he's hard to bring down they're loaded on offense I'm I'm excited to see what they can do Brock Bowers hot take for you Brock Bowers best skill position player in college football right now would be and I think he'll be better than Kyle Pitts I think he'll be a top five draft pick I. I do not disagree. I think he's headed that direction. He was something else as a freshman. He was something else. That was I've never seen anybody. Not with that speed, that height, yeah. size. Amazing. Absolutely. All right, here's my last. I was debating between fall sports and this, but Desmond Ritter. Desmond Ritter is Patrick Mahomes, and I'm excited about the pick. I think the Falcons did good. I think uh, I, I'm, I'm fired up about the pick. I, uh, I could be dead wrong, but the kid's athletic, got a good arm. Um He's going to need to put some weight on, which all incoming uh, college players in the NFL have to put on some weight. Yeah, uh, it's most of them. But the kid, I think the kids, uh, I think the kids a gym. I'm excited to see him play. I think where they got him makes him better. I didn't like him at 40th pick or for whatever second yeah. round pick we had. Yeah, I didn't like taking a QB there. Right. Uh, I'm a little sad we didn't get N'Kobe Dean. I think that's the biggest steal in the draft. I think so. But too. I, th- I think Ritter's going to be solid. I don't know if he's going to be, you know, an MVP or elite level. But I, I do think he gets on the field this year. He may not start the season, yeah. But you got to put him on there. They got to see what they have because next year you could take somebody else, and uh, and so they do need to see what they have. I yeah. agree. I'd like to see him play. I'd yeah. like to see him play for sure. All right. Well, that's our sports takes for the day, and uh, we're coming up on one of my favorite segments. It's called overtime, and overtime is where we begin to uh, we begin discussing things that are maybe left over in our. Uh, theological discussions from the past week or past month or whenever they are, things that are cropping up in our minds. So, Chris, do you have any overtime takes, anything that's been hanging in your thoughts theologically, practically, in regard to the faith? And we are theology in the dirt, so we want to take our theology and put it into practice in the public square of our homes, our city, and our world. So is there any theological overtime component you have to discuss? 
this could probably be a podcast in itself, so I'll keep it brief. But I, like it. I think um, as a worship leader, as someone who's kind of in that field and in that area a lot, I think we are soon to see a big shift in that. I think people are getting, churches are getting bogged down by the just ginormous amount of music out there, and it's become its own industry now, worship music has. And I think we're starting to shift back to more older hymns, smaller um, songbooks, again, for churches, not not doing new songs two or three every week. Um, I think that's really kind of changed the landscape of how we worship. And it's for some churches it works well, but very few it has. And seeing more and more people just leaning back on those theological songs that have lasted generations. And I don't mean just ones from like hundreds of years ago. It could be more some of the newer hymns, like In Christ Alone, for example, is one that's not that old but has stood the test of time. Mm. And I think people are kind of seeing the less theologically sound music that's just kind of it's almost too artistic to a point. Yeah. And I think we're going to see a shift in the church here in the next few years Mm. away from some of that. I like it. I, 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 you know, our bent, um, I I think you guys have been uh, ahead of the curve while others probably would say we've been behind the curve. I think we've seen past the, the fog and smoke and mirrors of entertainment. We have been, I think we were wired for that in the first place. Um, because how we've seen and view and work around the world, um, just piggybacking on that idea, I think people's souls are hungry for depth, not mm-hmm. breadth. Um, Bob Bob Roberts, my spiritual father, has been telling us guys for years, uh, get narrow and go deep. And it's better to have less volume and more depth. And I, I think people are hungry. I, I think COVID yeah. and, and all the subsequent stuff just completely uncovered our shallowness. Um, and I don't mean shallowness because people are struggling. That struggle does not mean you're shallow. So that's not my, in any way what I'm saying, but I think what has happened is I think you see the shallowness in the loss of people who, who their faith got tested and they've gone away. Um, and, yeah. and I think we need depth, um, and training our people, um, to walk with Jesus, not just when it's easy, but when it's hard and they're, there are songs that help us do that. Yeah, and I think that translates to the pulpit as well. Um, that's the old word, pulpit. But, you know, to, to yeah. the preaching, I think yeah. people are kind of like um, the kind of disingenuine um, sermons that kind of avoid hard topics and that are kind of the make-you-feel-good ones. That's right. That had its run for a while, but I think people are tired of that. I think people, like you said, they want the depth. They right. want to be challenged. They want to be pushed. Um, they want something that's real and authentic and that's biblical Absolutely. I completely agree. It, because what's going to stand when everything's taken away, right? And, and you know, those things uh, those things matter when we go through seasons where we're, we've gone through. And frankly, what's coming up, uh, things are only getting more challenging. Mm-hmm. And what are we going to do? We have to have something to lean on. Right. Yeah, so good stuff, my man. Well, now yeah. we're getting ready to come to our Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> main event. Yeah, baby. Bruce Buffer uh, came in the studio and recorded that for us this morning, and we're grateful to Bruce. He did that pro bono. And uh, we are entering our main event where we're going to be talking about today. Chris is actually, as our guest today, Chris is a worship leader. Um, Chris uh, helps lead worship in our church. Adam Jossen is our ministry director, and Chris is always in the band. Chris, 
you oversee audiovisual communications in our church. So the sound and audiovisual and worship, and you're a worship leader. You lead worship at our church. You lead worship at other places. And so this is something you've been doing for a long time. And so today you're going to be really unpacking some very important things in regard to digital and um, technology and those types of things in the worship service. So um, you've got some pretty cool topics I want to introduce here. Then uh, in that realm of the digitization and the use of technology in the worship service. And so I really want to get out of the way and introduce this and let you give us some thoughts on this because it is absolutely, I think, important in the day and time we live. We went through covid and so we had to think about live stream. We had to think about recording. We had to think about people using technology to stay connected. So it introduced to us uh, something that wasn't new, but it's been around, but we were all forced to have to figure it out Yeah, and the implications that go with it. So talk about the positive impact that digitization and technology has had in advancing the church. What are your thoughts there? Sure. Well, I think to start even before that, we've seen this happen in the business world, and we've seen this happen in just really every aspect of life. It's it's trying to keep up with the technological changes everywhere. Um, for example, before I get into the church side of things, um, you know, being part of Chick Fil A in the past, let's just use their um, their iPad and their upstreaming start ordering right. So before the pandemic came, no one was better prepared to handle that than Chick Fil A. Right. But did you know that that idea of upstream ordering in the iPads had nothing to do with the drive through when it came out. It was actually an operator in New York who didn't even have a drive through trying to figure out how can we get orders in quicker? That was their big bottleneck. When you say upstreaming, what, what exactly does that so, uh, mean? Upstreaming is so wherever your, your typical point of ordering is at the register or at the speaker box, it's taking that back farther, going down the line, getting oh. orders in faster. And then intentionally that would allow the line to move quicker because typically that's where your bottleneck is people there they're waiting to try to figure out what they want they're they're ordering and if you've got a fast kitchen they're sitting there waiting for new orders to come through you can generally take one or two at a time and so by introducing this ipad in their in-person line is how it started wow they were getting orders on the screen quicker their kitchen was able to fill those faster people were getting out the door quicker so by the time they get to the register their order's probably ready. They're paying, getting their food, and they're going. Right. That's so instead awesome. of just waiting in okay. line, doing nothing, right? And and then somebody realized, hey, what if we did this in the drive-through? And so Chick Fil A, being ahead of the technological curve, pretty much always made you know they created a iOS platform for that for their register, taking it outside. Now, now you have two, three, four, five, six, some places right. people taking orders outside. You've got them handing food outside, moving them up, and they figured that out. And so trans translate that to the church, to our real topic today. Um, you know, we're seeing there's just been just been massive shifts in communication. Um, it started simple with the removal of hymnals and just projecting words on the screen. Yes. Whether it was the old overhead projector and the transparencies. I got to be the transparency changer <laughs> yep. at Shorter College back in the day. That was awesome. Yep. I, I thought mean, I was the man. <laughs> those were real fun to have to print out and keep and not overheat it and make sure the bulb didn't go out. Yeah. You know, and then you went to your PowerPoint presentations, which took forever to build and, you know, 
God forbid you repeat a verse or chorus. You got the guy hitting the back arrow, <laughs> hoping it doesn't freeze up. <laughs> oh, and, man. you know, and then now we have, you know, pro presenter and other options. The pro presenter does anything and everything. And so that's kind of where it started. But let me just go through here some just some numbers on the positive impact of digitalization. I think okay. it give us a better idea. So the version Bible app, for example, right, that was kind of one of the first Bible apps that was out there. It has been downloaded over 500 million times. 500 million? million half a billion times that app's been downloaded. Wow. There are 2,062 different Bible versions on that app in 1,372 languages, including multiple audio versions as well. Like if you just want to hit, listen to somebody read it to you. Right. Um, and there are over 1,000 Bible plans. And so think back wow. before we had internet stuff, like the thought of trying to get a Bible in someone's hand across the world seemed logistically impossible. Now, because of smartphones and, and technology, people can have not only a Bible, but a free one. And the whole Bible, not just the little you know pocket New right. Testaments, nothing wrong with those. Sure. But now you can get it in your language. You can have someone read it to you. That's amazing. And so just that alone Holy cow, Chris, changed. I'm sitting now my mind is going like nuts. I'm thinking, because I do like that feature where I can press play and it can mm-hmm. read it to me. Like if I'm driving somewhere and I'm like, I just need to hear the Psalms, I can press play. I hadn't thought about that in other languages of other people. That's in, that's insane. Half a billion Half downloads? a billion downloads of, of wow. just that one. And there, like I use the ESV app. But right. There's so many different versions now too. And right. you can get it in any translation, so many different languages. Um, and so let's fast forward a little bit because what I really wanted to focus on is not just the transformation of technology in the church. And there kind of is two different churches here. We have the church that's trying to catch up and the churches that are out in front. Right. And, and a lot of times the difference is simply size, staff, you know, those kind of things, because it's not easy to keep up with. Right. Um, that's right. But when the pandemic hit, that changed everything. Cause it's right. now is how do we connect and engage with people? Some people, some, a lot of churches couldn't even meet legally, you know, right. Even ours, we shut down meeting in person for what a few months. Right. Um, and we, we started had, back in June. Uh, so, so yeah, rotating groups through mm-hmm. to try to create space. Right. So yeah, that's so, right. So during the pandemic, 96% of American churches live stream their service at least once. Wow. Wow. 96%. And I would, I don't have the stat on this, but the majority of those probably were not live streaming before the pandemic. I would say probably, mm. 75% of those churches didn't have some sort of online. Maybe we they recorded sermons, but they weren't live streaming right. or yeah, well, we weren't doing it. Right. No. Yeah. We had, we were, we were planning to right. regardless, but we hadn't gotten there yet. We were kind of forced into that. That's right. Yeah. Um, during the pandemic, 45% of Americans watched at least one church service online. Amazing. Um, and then now talking, continuing to talk about online. So the so again, we're talking about the positive impacts here of of this digitalization age of technology advancing. Right. Um, roughly thirty three percent of churchgoers find their church home online. How many now? Thirty three percent. So a third of people find their church um, online. That's what they're searching. They're not just necessarily just oh, there's a church over there. Let's just go show up. Right. And, so they're looking online before they look to show up in person. Right. So they're checked 33% are checking folks out digitally before they show up in person. And that's why the importance of church website right. being quality. And I'm going to get into that later when we yeah. talk about social media and marketing and things. But uh, that's why that's so important. Mm. Um, last year, nearly $2.5 billion was donated to churches through online means. Wow. So 
you know, going from the little, remember the little envelopes you got as a kid and you could put like your money in there and the yeah. offering plate. Yeah. Um, most giving on is now done online. And churches still do that. I think that's still important to have sure. cash and checks and stuff. But I mean, majority of that money is coming through online. So that that's super helpful. People that only go to your church can give. Right. Um, if they're, you know, for whatever reason. So that's continuing. Um, hmm. The new technology allows for communication and information to get out quickly a multitude of platforms. I mean, we think about during the week, we are sending out an email. We do a text blast weekly. We, right. uh, we utilize social media. Uh, we have announcements on our screens, uh, before and after service, uh, things like this podcast, um, is another way to reach people really throughout the world. Right. And, um, of course, you know, websites and so many other ways, just, there's just communication has completely changed. And, and that shift has been noticed in the church. I think that's pretty, Astounding because, you know, I've never, I haven't mentioned it on here, but one of the things that happens because of this technology of this podcast is that uh, a great deal of our listeners are, um, yeah, there's a lot here locally in the state of Georgia, um, but we have a significant um, global representation. The United Kingdom, Ireland, Germany, Kenya, Australia, Afghanistan, Canada, the Philippines, Italy, India, Laos, Puerto Rico, Switzerland, New Zealand, Vietnam, Indonesia, Hungary, Hong Kong, Singapore, Albania, Honduras, France, Brazil, Malaysia, Rwanda, South Africa, Japan, Mexico, and China. And so because of this little piece of technology, I mean, I have trouble finding anything negative about that because in all those places, the gospel that is heard, the topics discussed are entering ears in all those places. That blows my mind. And that's why we have to embrace technology as believers and as the church and not, now we'll get into some risk and some negative too. There is that, but we have more platforms now than ever to get the gospel out to people mm. in a variety of, of ways. Right. I mean, think about our live stream of our church, our, our partners across the world that we support and that we serve can stay connected to yes. the church that, that, you know, sends them, that hosts them. Um, what used to take a long time to get information back and forth is now yeah. done quickly. Yeah. You know, I'll have, I'll have supper with a brother uh, in the Himalayas in July who is watching on the Facebook live feed, uh, who's a friend, a brother who lives, I mean, I mean, he's local, he's from there. He's, that's his people. And we met through our work in India and he's a brother, loves the Lord. And he hit me up and said, Pastor Mitch, when you're coming through on your way to this location, can, can we, can we have you for supper? Me and my wife. And I'm like, heck yeah, love to see you. And so all because he can plan that because of technology. I mean, and me being Mister Born in nineteen seventy two guy, that still blows my mind that this stuff is bouncing off satellites, and people can hear and fellowship can be had. It, yeah, it's 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 humbling, and there is a there's a stewardship that goes with it too. So it has to there be is. used well. So these are the positives, right? Right. So, but just like just like a a lot of things, there is also. Um, you know, there's there's a negative side, and that's jumping a little bit ahead, but I think it's a nice segue 
to talk about the negatives and then we'll come back to the the other part of marketing that's super important uh, and how we do it. But Chris, what are some negatives? These are good positives and I think it's worth digging into because the positives are definitely worth it. But what are some of the negatives we have to be aware of? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, you hit the nail on the head there with stewardship. That's number one. It's, it's, there's, there's so many options now. It's trying to define, okay, which ones are the most impactful and the best for us to use? That's, that's starting with it. Uh, that's why the creation of planning center has been so, uh, just, just blown up the church's, you know, ability to do many things because it allows you to do a lot of things in one. What is planning center? So planning center is a, basically a software online platform for planning. It allows you to schedule band members or kids volunteers or ushers of your church or money counters who's preaching that Sunday, who's doing what. Um, so when I get that email f- that comes from Chris Hayes <laughs> that says you are scheduled for uh, the ministry of the word, that is uh, – that is helping to organize a Sunday morning, right? It is. And, and you know, syncs with your calendar. It's, it's through an app on your phone. You know, and it's easy for you. You can go in and say, hey, these are the dates I'm out. So we can make sure that's covered. And nobody's like, oh, I didn't know they were going on vacation this week. You know, and, um, it, it, you know, there's church directory online now that we've just recently launched uh, through the Church Center app, which is part of Planning Center. Um, there's You can give and you can track your own giving and your church is giving through planning center. You can get all, all things to scheduling resources and renting out rooms to um, so many different options. Um, and that's, that's really changed the way um, mm-hmm. people plan and organize their services. And, you know, whether you're a small church or a big church, having that organization is huge. So this is part of the positive stewardship. So, so what are the downsides to this kind of technology? Right. So the downside, uh, the first is just technology is always changing. And trying to keep up with that, um, you know, think of our church. We have, what, one full-time salaried staff person, right. yourself. Right. And then we have other people who are all part, you know, I have a full-time job, yep. um, which is a lot of the similar stuff. It's marketing, it's digital and stuff. That limits my ability to stay, you know, posting on social media five times a day, you know. Right. Or creating new content or doing a lot of those things. Um, number one, so it's capacity, it's it's people. Right. Uh, there's a negative just trying to keep up with that, um, right. unless you're a church like Elevation Church that has like a huge staff that just does, so, and their social media is phenomenal. Right. Um, but one of the biggest ones we're seeing now is church attendance um, is significantly lower. It's right. been declining for years anyway in some ways, but now what um, you know, the, the benefits of live stream, for example, now also has created this... Um, lazy excuse to do church and i'm doing quotes you can't see that over there <laughs> air to, quotes yeah air quotes to do church in my pjs at home without having to get up get the kids ready right um you know and which is not the intention of live streaming what it was created for right but it's now become this thing where why do i need to go to church when i can experience it and it goes back to that um you know consumer mentality that's that's really hurting the church the last several years anyway. Right. It's like, let me, this is a product I consume, which is backwards, but right. It's now giving those people an easy excuse to, well, I was there. I connected. I had, I worshiped. I listened to the sermon. Right. And you know, I was, I didn't have to go wait in the long lines at the restaurant. You know, I didn't have to get up early and put makeup right. on. Or Hey, the nice thing about having a worship service that begins at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning is usually wrapped up by 11.15 is you still beat people to the restaurant, which is 
flipping awesome. Yeah, and you're not any less a Christian. <laughs> you're not any less a Christian. That's exactly right. I, I think, uh, and this is a huge debate inside evangelicalism, and that is whether or not digital church is really church. It served a purpose. It served its purpose, but but theologically, and I would even argue scientifically, and I'll, I'll make a point here in a second with that, um, without in-person relationship, there really isn't relationship. Right. Like it, it's awesome that my friend in, in India wants to have supper with me. Why does he want to have supper? Why is it just enough to listen to me preach or have a text conversation? It's because we were wired to be physically together. Um, the, the distance um, is a function. Distance in relationship really is a function of sin more than it is a function of health. You, you, you look at Genesis 1 and 2, the Lord himself walked with them in the garden in the cool of the day. Hmm. And as a result of sin, they were separated from that physical presence of the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ walking with them in the garden. And so we were made to be together. We were made to be in relationship with each other. And that's absolutely huge. And so so by giving in to the idea that I can be physically distant uh, and still relationally connected, it, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Right. Um, scientifically, even, the uh, reading uh, Dr. Caroline Leaf, her book, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, she's a research psychologist. She's a, she's a doctor, um, a clinician. Uh, and one of the realities of how our bodies work, it works on electric, electricity. And uh, one of the things they're discovering about the brain is electrical impulses that the brain actually gives off somewhere around, uh, what was the, uh, somewhere around, um, I think it's 5 billion electrical impulses a day. I'm going to get that messed up. Um, That's coming through the brain. This is why when the room's full of people, you can walk in and pick up on the atmosphere in the room before you hear anything is quite literally their electrical impulses and they're negative or they're positive. Or they're neutral. And so this mm-hmm. is why we can walk in a room. We talk about getting that feeling. Well, that feeling is real because you're real, with real human beings and there is a legitimate buzz that's taking place in a room. We miss that when we're not in person. Yeah. And that matters. Well, and we're wired that way. And, I, you know, that kind of leads per- before I finish up with some of the negatives. I think this is a perfect time to introduce kind of my, this is my main kind of pull point. My main topic is, and actually, it's actually a question. And it's a form of a question because it's a question that I think we have to continue to be able to answer uh, moving forward as a church. And it's I kind of worded it this way. How do we stay relevant and connected to ever-changing technological advances and strategies while also seeking and growing intentional, authentic relationships? And I think that's, to me, I think that's, if not the most important, going to be one of the most important questions churches have to deal with moving forward. That's huge. Um, because you can't drop technology you can't just no. say we're not going to do it because no. you'll lose people right but you can't also rely heavily on it to and lose your whole purpose of ministering and you know you can think of a difference of you know if i watch if i watch the production of hamilton the musical on disney plus as opposed to being in the seats for that right. i can i can enjoy it for watching it on my television but i don't experience it the same oh, yeah. way as i would they're live, like you said, all those nuances, and I—that's not the best example of the church, but I think in some ways it is. Though, you know, you sitting on your couch, it's a different environment of 
worship and a feeling and being amongst believers unified in word and in worship and kind of being there to sing together yeah. or to you know encourage one another to pray for one another all those things are essential to what we do in the Sunday morning absolutely I'll never forget a perfect uh, illustration of that was one Sunday morning back in the early summer it was a rough time for me and uh, I was struggling I was in and I've talked about that on our when we talked about uh, mental health and and a brother uh, came over to me and grabbed me and hugged me and I you guys who know me know I don't like to be touched I'm not a touch guy I don't like to touch people and I don't like to be touched um, it's just weird for me it's just my thing so could be healthy, but could also be unhealthy. And this yeah. brother grabbed me and gave me a a huge hug, and the quite literal boost in my soul from being hugged by someone who cared made the difference for me. And so there is the physical touch that comes from being in the room with people who are on the same team, moving in the same direction. It's it's night and day different. It's night and day different. Oh yeah, and there's we could spend. That hours just talking about the scientific proof of connection and touch and yes. the impact of that psychologically, emotionally, um, for, for people like me who are big on touch and hugging and, yeah. uh, and our extroverts, you know, we were not okay during the pandemic. <laughs> you were not <laughs> okay. Was, it was so, it made yeah. my day when I had to stop asking people, can I hug them? Right. People that I, you know, we normally hug every week. Right. And, you know, and, and, in like for, for many people, the, the pandemic, Kind of, they were okay with that seclusion and that independence and that just leave me I'm alone. I'm over here raising <laughs> yeah. my hand. I was like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you with your yellow or red wristband. <laughs> and That's I'm right. like, let me get, where's the brightest green? I'm like, yeah. I don't care if you give me COVID, just somebody touch me. Yeah. Because it makes a whole difference. Or even talking in person, yeah. all that goes a long way. But yeah. let me hit two more wrists real quick. Yeah. Because I know we're limited yeah. on time. Um, and these are, I think, are two important ones. Number one, um, with information so easily shared and out there, um, more and more problems and issues within the church are out in the limelight and are scaring people away. Yeah, um, we're seeing that. And I mean, you got the the Hillsong documentary. The uh, was it the rise and fall of the Mars, Mars Hill, Hill Church? Yeah. Uh, we're seeing more and more scandals and more and more issues because not only are people hearing those things, but with the, with the few types on the, your Twitter or your Facebook, yeah. that's getting out. Whether it's True or false, it's getting out fast. That's right. Um, and some of that leads into my other one now, too, is uh, access and abuse of pornography and sexual exploitation by pastors and church leaders That's right. has risen significantly. Um, and, you know, it's um, people just don't trust the church as much in the past. Yeah. And when that gets out, you know, that's hard to recover from. And it doesn't even matter if it happened in your church or the church near you. Right. There's going to be that weariness. Um and and that that goes you know if you if you had a bad experience with a coach yeah. growing up you're not just going to openly trust any other coach that's right because you only know what you've experienced or what you've heard and seen that's right just as quickly as good news travels bad news seems to travel exponentially faster and so when people sacrifice their integrity and their righteousness on the altar of whatever reason they did it for um, no matter how hard you try to protect people the question is should they be protected. And and if they should be, um, how do you handle that? But if, if if it should be dealt with in a public manner, that information is going to fly. Mm-hmm. And so that that's a negative. It's a downside. It's hard to keep things uh, private that should be private and things that should be public. It's going to go quickly. And yeah. that digitization does not allow for dealing with truth and righteousness. It it propagates a narrative, right or wrong. And it, and when it's negative, man. People take it and run with it and absolutely can do 
exponential destruction. Yeah. Well, and and there's studies on you know people that promote the news or publish news through social media or through websites. They are trained to use specific negative bent words because yeah. that gets them more clicks. It doesn't matter if it's true or if it's sort of true because bad news is more engaging and intriguing than good news. That's what you don't see much on the news. Yeah. Um, that's why people like Stephen A. Smith still have a job because, you know, and, and Max Kellerman, it's like, what's the worst take I can possibly have about something that's controversial? Right. You know, that's why we see more and more of these rankings and lists of like, you know, Best loudest stadiums was one recently, and, and it, you know, sports, politics, and religion. Right. Anything that's hot button topic there is going to create debate. It's going to create you know mm. shock and awe. It's going to create people immediately going to one side or the other mm. and arguing, and you know that creates more clicks and more content and more followership. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but what we leave out oftentimes is the actual truth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, that's actually untrue, right? Yeah. And it does. It it, it absolutely uh, creates a mess, right? And it and and unfortunately, it's led to politically the the whole creation of a department uh, of a department in the Department of Homeland Security. Now, <laughs> this is a wrong term, but the Ministry of Truth, like presidential administrations, looking to combat disinformation, right or wrong, because there's real disinformation there. Right. And 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 I'm not sure. I remember. Uh, do you remember uh, Forrest Gump? Oh yeah. I, I love love Forrest Gump. That there there are those scenes where, and it's bad. Now you look back on the uh, the digital animation of Kennedy's mouth speaking to Forrest when when he visits the White House. And I remember thinking how funny that was. And now the technology is so good that you can put words in someone's mouth they didn't actually say and make it look like they said something they didn't say. Yeah. Deep fakes are real. And you can piece together this people could take this recording and if they wanted to get me, put words together I didn't say and put them in my mouth and put a recording out there. Mm-hmm can't prove i didn't do it didn't say it yeah and so that's a downside to to that is the the whole world of deep fakes and uh artificial intelligence and all those things so there is a downside right so those and again those are even topics all of them in and of themselves it would be great podcasts um we might have to come back to that chris you might have to go away and do some <laughs> do some study and come back our producer, because I think those are worth. Okay, so let's jump because we're going to run out of time. Church marketing. What is it? How do we do it? And why do we market? Right, so real quick, over one billion people log into Facebook every day. How it's many? Over one billion. Holy cow! Instagram boasts more than five hundred million users each month, and Twitter has three hundred twenty-eight million monthly active users, which may go down once Elon gets in control because everybody's like all of a sudden. Right. Anyway, well, that, that's. Not on top of it. We'll get, we'll get past that. Yeah. So all that to say, everything is vying for our attention um, as individuals. Uh, churches have to be very intentional and strategic with marketing the gospel and pointing people to Jesus. The real impact of that strategy rests on the Holy Spirit, not on the bigger and better church events that we can have. So in other words, right. it's important that we take the focus off my church and don't use it simply to fill seats mm. and put, put it back on people in the community. Because original church marketing was just to get people in. Right. And I think now we're at a point because there's so much vying for our attention that can't be our main focus. And the reason is for mm. another example. Um, so about two years ago, Facebook and Instagram changed their algorithms for ads. And so now, unless you're paying for actual ads and you're paying to boost posts in there, roughly two to 3% of your audience of your people following your page are actually seeing 
all of your content. Really? On a day, now that can fluctuate. That's crazy. Unless they're looking for it, because and and unless they're looking at it regularly, it's not going to. It'll continue to fade away out of their feed. So, in other words, even though you may market with social media, only two to three percent of your people may actually see it because of the algorithm. Right. So you have to have multiple streams to reach them, right? So you have to have multiple streams, and it, this is really hurting. And I work for a nonprofit, so it's really hurting both the church and nonprofits who don't have, you know, buckets of marketing funds to pour into paid ads. And so that's another reason why, instead of um, just putting information out and using that to do it, it should be more uh, engaging. And so um, a lot of right. social media experts recommend the one in five rule, and what that means is one only one out of every five posts should be informational or announcement related in general the other four should be engaging and that could be you know as simple as a sermon clip or a scripture or like hey how can we pray for you Uh, asking questions and i i love this example when it comes to social media i always tell people social media should be a telephone not a megaphone Mm. in other words it's not social media shouldn't be specifically for just yelling out information over and over to people to inform it should be about engaging people and community and getting feedback. Mm. And well, the way the algorithms are met, if the more engagement you get, the more people will see those posts. So it works. So it's beneficial to you to be engaging. Right. Uh, people aren't typically to spend a lot of time liking or commenting or sharing something that's just informational. Wow. That's wild. That Wow. My mind's spinning. That that needs to come back. <laughs> we, need, yeah. we need to dig because that's – if only – if only two to three percent are seeing, and and it's an engagement changes the algorithm, so it's beneficial to have four to one. Then just engagement. Here's something to watch. Here's something to see, and, right? And that shifts the algorithm. So that get if that happens, if they engage or click and say, "Watch this video," will they begin to see more of the one? Like if you do one in five is information, will see, they begin to see more of that? Yes, it'll it'll put more of 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 that church or that organization's. Okay information in their feed so think about it this way if i posted something that said um let's say you know 60 percent of people in georgia prefer strawberry jelly over grape jelly right all right if i just posted that fact okay you'd be like oh well maybe that's interesting but you're not going to engage with that however if i posted a poll that says what's your favorite kind of jelly on the pb and j People get excited about PB&J. They're likely to comment or click on that, engage right. with that post in some manner, much more likely than they would just reading a fact. Mm-hmm. And so it's a sh- it's a mindset shift of um, how do I get people engaging on my social media posts so that more people will see them. That's huge. That's awesome. My goodness, I feel like uh, I feel like we have we have more than we can we can do. So as we begin to wrap up, Chris, what are some final thoughts for? us today to consider when it comes to digitization and technology for us? Uh, I think the one thing is um, websites are incredibly important and should be bent towards visitors while the other platforms and other parts of your website are should be geared towards more towards members. So over 17 million non-regular churchgoers visit church websites yearly. 80% of people visit your website before attending your church. 80 80%. 80%. Wow. Um, and that may simply just be to find out where you are and what you're about. And so it's important on our way. And, and, and I'm right now, I'm, you know, I'm working even on our website on how can I upgrade and improve some of those things to make sure it, number one, it's itself is engaging and informational and easy to follow. But also if a visitor comes here, 
and they spent and they're not spending a lot of time. So a visitor comes here and they spend two minutes on our website, even one minute, thirty seconds. What are they going to get? What right. are they going to look for? Can they find it? And even how? What does our website look like? If it looks like it's from nineteen eighty eight. I don't think they had a website. Since, you know, if it looks like right. it's 20 years old. They're not going to spend two minutes there. No, because they're going to assume that your church is, is old. Right. Or not with things. Yeah. Not relevant. And so I hate using that word relevant, but it's right. it's important. It's what people are thinking, right? Yeah. And so, but again, I think it all comes back to what we're talking about here as we can kind of sum up is, again, how can we continue to balance the technological shifts and advances? How can we stay relevant with those without losing intentional relationships and i think that's um it's something that church staffs and 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 leadership has to continue to ask that question right and come up with strategies you know it's hey let's you know whether sometimes that might be more people or resources towards something it may just be a reallocation of resources right but i think church services have to be much more intentional at um not just entertaining but engaging i think people are kind of pulling off of the entertainment side of it Right. Production. Not always. That's still going to be intriguing and, and fascinating. Sure. sure. But more and more people want real. Yeah. In that, absolutely. And a lot of those churches that are high production are real. I don't, right. And I don't knock that. Like, that doesn't mean that right. they're not. Right. But how they all, that only comes across if you're real and genuine one on one also. Right. And, and substance, substantive, right? And, yeah. and that part of that uh, engagement is substance that makes our minds and our souls move and actually, uh, answers to tough questions and hard questions of life. Man, there's so much for us to talk about, and it's so vital. And, uh, Chris, as we continue to go down this road because we're using digital and uh, digitization and we're using technology now, um, we got to keep unpacking. And I'd love for you to come back and let's uh, let's take some of the things that you talked about today and go deeper into them because I think, I think they're vital for how we function, uh, even in our podcast here, but also in our church and for folks listening to us that have access to technology. Maybe there's some more influence we can have in, in getting more gospel content to more people um, and helping people be equipped for the future. Absolutely. And I think there's people that a lot of their gifts are now set in that world. And so how can we start to utilize those gifts of the people in our church who are gifted in technology, communication, and, and digital areas and utilize that to advance the kingdom? Love it, man. Absolutely love it. Chris, thanks for taking the time to come and hang out with us today. It's a pleasure pleasure to see you, brother. I appreciate your time. appreciate the work you put in. You make so many things go round in the life of our church and in this podcast, and we're grateful for you, man. Happy to do it, man. Awesome. Hey, guys, we appreciate you listening to Theology in the Dirt. Uh, Please continue to engage with us. If you have any questions you'd like to ask, you can email them to theologyinthedirt at gmail.com. Don't forget to check out restorationrome.org. And uh, we really appreciate you listening. Y'all have a great rest of your day. Out.